it working this time? <laughs> the first service, I made a fatal flaw and I don't know what happened and, and then it was all tangled up and Pastor Derek had to come weave me out of it, um, which was, I really appreciated because I hooked him up at the Rise Gathering, came up there and fixed the thing, so it was mutual. <laughs> um, if you don't know me, my name is Dave Zarmack. I'm the associate pastor here at Ocean City Church and uh, I really like being here. <laughs> I do. We're starting the Advent series. If you don't know what Advent is, it is a tradition that's been going on for a long time in Christianity. The four Sundays leading up to uh, Christmas, there's four themes. Our theme for the day is hope. Uh, in some liturgical churches, they light candles that have different colors that also have meetings. So the candle of hope is also known as the prophecy candle uh, because hope, Advent actually means coming or waiting or expecting the first coming of Jesus as a as a baby virgin birth to die on the cross as an adult. And the second one means his second coming when he returns to, uh, to, he, to establish his kingdom. But I gotta tell you guys something. I have a confession to make. It's Christmas, our church loves Christmas, apparently. We just decorate so much. Um, this will come to a shock to some of you, not my children or my wife, but I'm just gonna say it, I don't really like Christmas. I know, who said what? <laughs> I'm ball humbug. I don't even know what that means, but I'm that. Like, I don't really love Christmas. I don't hate Christmas. Uh, and I, some of you are like, oh, he's just because he's super spiritual and he's a pastor. He's going to be like, I don't like how they've commercialized the, the birth of our Lord and Savior. It's not that. I, you're already thinking, oh, Santa. He's got a weird issue with Santa. He sat on his lap in the picture when he's a kid and it freaked him out. Nope, none of that. I really, it just stresses me out. I've had bad experiences with decorating. And I have a lot of children. So like younger guys, if you want to have a bunch of kids, go be fruitful and multiply. But just remember every December, if you have four of them, all the money that you made, you're like, hey, you know all that money you spent working this year? We need you to take all of it and buy Christmas presents for your tribe. <laughs> Stresses me out, you know? Um, young guys, so uh, the decorating part, this has been, this has been difficult. Uh, and my kids will laugh. As soon as I start pulling the stuff out of the thing, they're like, <laughs> there he goes. But they go in the house. They're like, oh man, he is gonna be so mad. Uh, I start pulling, if you're, if, you, if you're young and you get, you get a house, you're about to decorate your stuff. Couple tips. Don't hang anything up before you check and make sure the lights work. So my first issues is I'd go hang them all up and then you, you know, Griswold, you're like, eh, and these ones don't work, and that one only has one bulb on, and you're like, oh my gosh, what happened? You climb up there again, you go to the smart guy at Ace, and you're like, hey, what happened? Uh, he's like, give me some more of your money. These are overpriced lights. Uh, you have to replace these, and he's like, hey, you gotta go on a scavenger hunt. These, this strand is good, but one bulb is killing it. And you're like, it's one bulb? And you're like, yeah, you gotta go get one, find the one bulb, you know? Like, oh my God, I, I, don't, I don't like it. It stresses me out. Yeah, see, he's experienced. That's why he's laughing so much. Or here's, here's, here's the other one. Don't go up there and hook it up until you know exactly where you're going to plug it in. Done that a lot lately. I go, I mean, I've mapped it all out. I'm like, this year, I'm not going to hate doing this. I'm going to make it happen. I go set it up. It's Griswold time. Where's the Griswold? There's no plug. Where's the plug? The plug is on the roof. I like backwards did, you know? And so you go, where's the adapter? Apparently Christmas lights, there's no adapter. You're gonna have to go take it all back off. And since I'm very spiritual, I don't say any cuss words on my roof, <laughs> but I use all the Christian cuss words. I mean, I'm up there like, son of a biscuit eating bulldog. God, I hate Christmas taking these things out. 
Uh, and this other things, like every year we drive around, look at Christmas lights, like load up in the back of the truck, and I get all grumpy for that, you know? But Asher, I don't know why it's fun. It's like they're all in the truck, and Sarah makes hot cocoa. I mean, Sarah would have a Christmas tree up in July if we could. She loves it because she's normal, and I'm weird. I understand this. But we'll, one time we go look at this real beautiful, and so when I first, I disliked it so much, I wouldn't even like complete, I'd get like one strand of lights, they're all white. Bam, here you go, Merry Christmas. So Sarah's always trying to get me to like elaborate it, you know? So we pull up to this one house and it's just beautiful, you know, like, look at that. And Asher was just a little guy and he just goes, uh, there must be one special dad that lives in there. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're probably right. I don't like the way you're looking at me, son, you know? Uh, but there's hope for me, huh? I gotta tell you this, there's hope, today is hope. Last year, I was like, my kids are growing up, they're teens, I've gotta go out, We're, they're not gonna be the little Christmas in the presents as much, they're gonna move out sooner than later. So I like, I need to fix my Scroogeness, and I went, and so I, bought, I completed the strand of lights, like it goes the whole roof line now, and I bought one of those awesome Christmas blow-ups. Right? I got, I got, it didn't this, so we have a flat roof and then a second story. Look what I got. It's Santa driving a big giant red truck. Huh? Firemen love the red trucks and all the reindeer are in the back of the truck. Yeah, I'm like, you know, Griswold, I'm like, oh yeah, look guys, I know, I'm a good dad too, Asher. He's 19. He's like, yeah, you blew your chance. I already know you. Uh, but we live in Northeast Florida and there's not a real good way to secure that to your asphalt shingles. First Northeast wind, Santa goes flying off the roof. Oh, and here come the Christian cuspers again. But uh, this is not about how much I dislike Christmas decorations. This is about hope. There's hope for me that I won't be such a Scrooge. But we're, there's hope in Jesus, right? Jesus is our hope. That's the title of this message, that hope is a person. Jesus is the hope, which everybody knows that kind of stuff, but we're gonna, we're gonna jump into it. Like I said, this comes, this whole, whole candle of hope, prophecy candle, comes from Isaiah 7, 14. It's there, therefore... The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. That word means God with us, right? So the whole thing is about hoping in Jesus coming, and what is hope? You know, like, you hear the word hope, and we all have a different, it means something to different people. For all of us, it means waiting, expecting, desiring, longing for something that we don't have. You're usually in hope of something good coming your way, or something bad not coming your way, like, Hope, waiting, desire, these words are all connected. You can't have hope without waiting. There's a certain part of hope that's always, there's gonna be a waiting period where you're waiting for the thing that you expect to happen, right? So, but we come at this thing from all kinds of ways. I mean, each of us, it's different. Hoping, waiting is different day to day, time to time, moment to moment, circumstance to circumstance. You know, and it depends on how you feel, you know, hope different, is different for you depending on how you feel about religion, God. Um, how you, what you do for a job, your vocation, you have hopes and, and, and dreams there. Uh, other people, we have hopes. We have to put our hopes in each other. We're always hoping that someone's not gonna let us down. We know about that, don't we? Um, hope for circumstances of life to improve, but carnally, earthly, you know, we have very similar hopes. And all of us, everyone in this room can, can agree with, with this list here. We all hope for a long life. We all wanna fulfill our hopes and dreams, right? We all want that, that's, that's good. Hopes and dreams, long life, health. We all hope for health. None of us wanna be sick. We hope for health. We hope that our loved ones aren't sick, our peoples, our friends, we hope for health. 
We hope for, if we were to be honest, wealth, money. Christians here, we know it's the root of all evil, so we don't hope too much. But yeah, we need money. How are we going to fulfill our hopes and dreams without the wealth? We hope for wealth. We hope for provision. That's another good Christian word. We need provision so I can buy all these Christmas presents. Um, we hope for peace, justice. Justice has been a big word this last two years, hasn't it? We've all, we know there's injustice in the world, and we want it to be right. We hope for peace in the world. You know how that used to be the supermodel thing? Well, I would just hope for peace in all the world, you know, but she's right. I mean, it sounds silly, you know, she gets out there and everything's very tiny. And she's like, peace in the world. But even though it's goofy, you kind of resonate with it, right? You're like, yeah, we do want peace in the world. That supermodel is right. Um, but we hope for happiness. We just want to be happy, right? We just, we hope to just be happy. We want, we just want to have a happy life. We want to be happy. And none of these things are bad. They're good. But if we really boil this hope thing down to like the bare bones, what's really, really going on is that uh, we're just trying to avoid suffering, right? We're trying to avoid darkness. We're trying to avoid death. That's what we're really doing. We're, we, and the problem is there's a big problem with that. We live in a land of darkness. Dude, has 2020 not been just a land of darkness all over this place? We've all suffered. Suffer. We can't avoid it. We do everything we can to avoid suffering because of suffering, darkness, sin, all, death, all of that is the op opposite of happy, opposite of living a good life, opposite of being whole and peace and all the things that we actually long for, and we do everything we can to try to avoid it. But the problem is hope in this world dies, doesn't it? Because we all die. The only person that died and came to life was Jesus. We all know that story. I don't know anyone else. Hope dies. So here's the thing. If you're here, that sounds very sad. But the thing is, more than likely, you guys are here because you have some sorts of sp spirituality. So we instinctively know that hoping just in this life is foolish. So we realize that maybe there's hope for an afterlife. So they start to connect. You know what I'm saying? So we get Botox and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know if that Botox keeps you from dying. But we, what, do we, what do you do when you get Botox? I mean, I don't really want Botox. I just want my face not to swell every morning I wake up because um, it just feels like one of the dogs slept on my face all night. And uh, it's just like, you know, but I'm getting old and like things are, but what is Botox? We're avoiding aging. And what is aging? Ages means you're marching towards dying. So everything, we're always, this is what we do. We're trying to avoid this thing, but we can't, right? We know we can't. We cannot avoid the sin, the suffering, the darkness, the pain, the shame. We can't do it. Darkness has touched every single person in this room. I'll tell you a couple of my stories. My oldest daughter, Kaylee, uh, I don't tell this story that much because for so long, like after this experience she had, it was like became like her identity and we, you know, wanted her to be able to move on from this terrible thing that happened to her. But she's almost 16 years old when she was 11, going into fifth grade, she got attacked by a shark. She was actually at the McFerrin's house, her and and Sarah and all the other kids. And I was mowing grass and Sarah's mom called me and said, Kaylee got bit by a shark. And my first thought was like, oh, you know, how bad can it be? It's probably a little tag on the foot. And then I call Sarah and Sarah, uh, Sarah's like a swan. I called her a duck in the first service. But swan, swan is much more beautiful. You are my beautiful swan, Sarah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I just thought of that. I mean, my brain is just, I'm out there. Uh, but she, on the outside, she's regal and beautiful. Look at the smile on her. But 
underneath those feet, those things might be doing this, you know, like you can't tell, but this particular time, like she's always like that. That's why she's so peaceful to me because she just comes with you like that. But this particular time I call her and I'm like, is it bad? And you could tell, she's like, it's bad. So, I mean, I get in the truck, I'm driving to the Baptist uh, Peds downtown and starts pouring down rain. I can only go 10 miles an hour, I swear to you. 10 miles an hour, my baby, my baby little girl, when she's this little surfing blonde thing has been attacked by a shark. My swan tells me that her, it's bad. So like in my mind, I'm like, what is this gonna look like? I get there and it is bad. I mean, she got over 90 stitches, most of them on the inside of her little legs. She was just this cute little thing. My baby was suffering in pain. That wasn't the worst part. Worst part was not the pain from the injury. The worst part was a few weeks later when she was in the bathroom and it was the day before her first day of school. And we were moving her out of her school that she spent her whole life into a brand new school where she knew no one, had no, didn't know anybody yet, didn't know the teachers. And here she is. You know, remember fifth grade? Moving fifth grade to sixth grade is real close to where you start to feel older. And all the weight of the world's on her. She had this thing wrapped around her legs. She's in the bathroom. And I can hear her crying. And uh, she tells me not to come in because she's trying to get off out, out, out of the shower. And then she finally says that I can come in. And she's covered up with a towel. Her hair's all wet. And she just looks at me and she says, please, Daddy don't make me go to school. The only word I can describe in that moment is just extreme zeal. Like zeal means like my passion is so strong, what I'm about to do is gonna cost me something and I'm willing to do it. Whatever it takes to accomplish this, I'm doing it. And I, if there was anything, if I could go and, and take the shark bite, if I could take all that stuff off there, is there anything I could do to take this suffering from her in this darkness, I would. Zeal, zeal as a dad. I got an, I mean, it's, the thing is when your kids suffer, you suffer. It's the worst. My other, well, another kid story, my, my uh, youngest son, Kennedy, he's adopted. And uh, when he, not that long ago, when his, a uh, lot of his abandonment issues have surfaced. And uh, the other day, I, this was a little bit ago, I, was, I hadn't seen him and I had this weird feeling. So I, I went up into his room and the Poor kid was sitting in his recliner. He had this hoodie over his head. And as soon as I opened the door, you could just feel this intense soul trauma that he was in. And he's just crying these tears and he never shows any emotions. Kids that are survivors, they don't show emotions. He's a survivor. And uh, he's just crying and he's, he's so, so sad, man. I'm talking sad. Like can't understand why his mom and his dad would abandon him, his own blood. And I, I remember telling Sarah like, I would take all the money I have, all the money that we have right now, any avenue, if I could, if there was a way to buy this away from him and put it on myself, I would do it. Zeal, just zeal. I want to fix the problem. It's darkness, it's suffering, sin. Being a fireman, I've seen all kinds of darkness, man. This world is tough. I remember this, I'll never forget this one lady. She lived in this nice neighborhood by where we work and she got real sick. And over the next 90 days, we, we got to know her. We would always go and see her because she would get real sick and we'd have to pick her up. Sometimes, you know, I picked this, I picked this woman up by myself at least six or seven times. Sometimes she would just be, couldn't get from the couch to the bed or the chair and I would be carrying this woman that I don't even know. And we just watched her get sicker and sicker and I'll never forget this one time where her husband called and she'd been sick for so long and uh, he was just broken too. I mean, darkness was on him and he said, I can't get her out of the bathroom. And we go in the bathroom and we know her and she's 
completely naked. She, she tried to take a shower and she fell between the toilet and the tub and she was stuck. She couldn't move and she was completely naked. And imagine what that would feel like, the shame, the nakedness, and all these firemen are standing in the bathroom in there and guess what, she was so broken she didn't care anymore. And I had picked her up a bunch of times and me being the, uh, the, the most fit of my crew. Now, I'm just, I'm just the, the most small, they're much bigger than me. They, I always end up having to go into these tight spaces, you know, and I had done it and all I wanted to do, like I swear to you, this is my experience, I knew her. I just wanted to cover her nakedness, take the shame, get her out of there. And I picked her up so many times in her life in this 90-day period. And the thing was, she was so exhausted and so wet. She, and I'm trying not to touch anything that would be inappropriate. All this zeal is this zeal on me. All I want to do is get her up and cover her and protect her. Zeal, man. God's heart. I know what some of you guys are thinking. This is the worst Christmas message I've ever heard. <laughs> this guy hates Christmas lights. He has told a bunch of super swords, uh, sad stories. This is awful. There's good news. I'm going to shift away from the darkness. There's good news. The gospel means good news. You know, we have our own earthly definitions of hope, but did you know scripture, God himself defines hope differently, completely differently, that he defines hope as a person. And that person is Jesus. So we're going to spend most of our time in Isaiah 9, the second verse, and uh, verse 6 and 7, all right? Wait till you see this. This is amazing. This is the definition of hope being a person in Jesus, and it is literally how the gospel unfolds line by line. You ready for this? It's amazing. Isaiah 9, 2, 6, and 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned for us. A child is born. A son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's look at this. This is it. We live in a land of darkness. I just told you about some of mine. Any one of you could get up here and tell your own stories. It's touched us all. But we have him. We have Jesus. Look what he says. It says, for us, for us, a child is born. For us, for you, for me, a son has been given. And listen to this. It says the government will be on his shoulders. What government? That's you. That's me. Here's the thing about Jesus and Christianity. He doesn't just come to take your sins. He comes to take the government of your life. That's why he's called Lord. Lordship implies ownership. He takes ownership of your sin. He takes ownership of your pain. He takes ownership of your darkness and he places it on his shoulders and he gives you something different. Leslie said it uh, before the first service. There's an exchange. You, he, you are exchanging with him all your sin, all your pain, all your darkness, all your struggles and he is giving you something much better. That's why you see, uh, you see the son, Jesus, when he starts walking the earth he starts to say things like this, John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill, 
steal and destroy. Is that not darkness? Is that literally not our, the, the definition of our experience with darkness and death? But I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Another way he says it, seek first the kingdom of God and I'll add everything else. Before that, I said, don't worry about all these other things. Seek me. I'm going to add those things to you. So what happens is well, there's an exchange. We give ownership to Jesus of our sins, everything, and then you see the cross. Think about it. You see the cross, that's where he goes. This is our first interaction with Jesus as we, he, we, the exchange happens. The ownership of everything puts on his shoulders and then he goes to the cross and he takes it away. And what does he do? He gives us the ability, he recharges earthly hope. Listen to this, he also says this when he walks, come to me, all you are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What's a yoke? It's the shoulder exchange. Give me your sin. Give me your shame. Give me your pain and take mine. Gosh, I promised I wouldn't cry. I am gentle, gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Look what Jesus does. He said, look, I'm, take, give it to me and now I'm going to give you real ability to hope in this life. Hope, hope for those things. I've come to give you a full and abundant life. Hope for wealth, hope for happiness, hope for joy. But guess what? I'm gonna make it so much bigger than that. You'll have hope now and I'm gonna give you hope for an afterlife. I'm gonna give you hope of a new body. I'm gonna give you hope that, yeah, may you, die, may you might die in this life, that there is appointed for you to get, to get one. There's gonna be one life where all things will be different, where my kingdom will reign forever. Ah, oh, it's so cool. Ownership implies, Lord, lordship implies ownership. He takes the government of your life. That's you and me. Let's keep going, guys. So look what happens when we give ownership this hope in Jesus becomes a person for us. Look what happens. For us, the son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. When, he ta- when, when, he, when Jesus has, becomes our hope, he takes ownership of us. He becomes a Wonderful Counselor. That word in Hebrew, which I'm not an expert on Hebrew, but Google knows a lot about Hebrew, um, actually means a wonder. And when it translates, like it's a bunch of words, it literally means unbelievable, incomprehensible, so wondrous, I don't even know how this is possible. This is, this, is, this is counsel, this is encouragement, this is love that there's never been. There's never been a person that comes at me like this. There's never been love like this. There's no manipulation. He's not trying to get anything from me, like maybe if I tell him this, he'll do this, and then I'll, I'll get it. There's never been a person that we've ever encountered with a disposition like Jesus towards us. He's wonderful, and we've never experienced it. None of us, even in our lo- deepest love relationships, there's always this give and take with Jesus because he's taken the sin. The sin his, only, his only motivation is love, and he proved it by the death on the cross. What if this is what he's like? where his counsel, his, his leading by his spirit is so tailored to my life, my hopes and dreams that he, he has my best interest in mind completely in every way. So we give him our ownership. He becomes, this person becomes hope for us, Jesus. And look what he starts to do. And he starts to counsel us. He starts to lead us in the most loving, most intimate way possible. Have you ever heard of anything more wonderful than that? He's the safest place there is. Jesus is our best and only real hope for true wholeness and joy and happiness. Come on, man, this thing gets better. The government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called a wonderful counselor. 
a mighty God. So look, what happens to us spiritually, Jesus becomes our hope in a person, and we have this leading, loving, unbelievable, wonderful counselor, and not only, he's not just a spiritual being anymore, he becomes a mighty being, he comes, becomes a mighty God, he comes into the darkness, he shines this light, and he fights for us. He fights for us when we're the weakest, he wants to say, I'm gonna give you the strength. Nothing will stop him. He's the most powerful being. He's not just this unknowing God. He's not just a God. He's a powerful one that will fight for you, that longs with all the zeal in his heart to make your life full of him and full of peace and full of joy. He's a mighty God. That's why scripture says he's for me. Who can be against me? Man, this year feels like everybody's against everybody. The world's against us. The, the, the virus is against us. Our health is against us. What if God is like this? What if our hope in Jesus is like this? He comes mightily. And the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Steadfast, Unshakable Dad. Like, think about the zeal like I was telling you about my children. Like, this is, what if he's like this? What if, like, he's steadfast, unchangeable? You're never going to be able to make him mad enough where he stops being your dad. Even if you've had a bad experience with one of your dad, like he is going to consistently, what do dads do? They protect, they, tr they, they teach, they prepare. Like every dad is trying to prepare their children for full, fullness, full life, right? This is what he becomes to us. When we give ownership of our sins to him, give him the government of our life, he becomes the thing we hope in. He becomes a father that cannot be moved and says he will do it forever. When the forever comes, he will still be our father Man, the government is on his shoulders. He'll be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and this might be the best one. He becomes the prince of peace. Royalty implies authority. Royalty implies authority. Peace will not be my responsibility anymore. It won't be yours anymore. We won't have to try to create our own peace anymore. He rules over it. He takes responsibility for it, and he says things like, I want to give you peace that will pass all the understanding that you can muster. He's the king and the royal priest of peace. It's amazing. This is Jesus. This is his desire for you, for me. He wants us to be our hope. He wants us to put our hope in him only, and this is what it looks like when we go to him. This is the gospel of Jesus. So amazing. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Oh my gosh. Justice and righteousness. You know, in Revelation, Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. Another part in Isaiah, he says that he's going to wipe away the tears from all faces. All the injustice you and I feel, the tension we feel, he's going to make it right. The fractures in our world, the fractures in our kingdom, he's saying, look, I'm coming. Advent means I'm coming. I'm coming a second time, and I'm going to establish my kingdom, and all things will be right, and all things will be made new, and it will last forever, and I will accomplish this. Like Derek, Derek, uh, Derek said this in the first service, I couldn't fix it for Kaylee. I couldn't fix it for Kennedy. I, I tried, I, I can't, there's roadblocks for me. I can't do everything. I can't fix all of their problems, but guess what? There's no roadblocks 
There's, no, there's nothing stopping Jesus and his zeal. Like I said, zeal means such strong passion that whatever you're about to do next is gonna cost you something. It was worth it to Jesus. His passion, his zeal to give us this hope was worth it. What did it cost him? It cost him nakedness. It cost him shame. It cost my, my shame. It's like that woman in the bathroom. All I wanted to do was cover up her nakedness, bring her wholeness. And Jesus, think about Jesus. That's what he did. He was naked. He suffered. He suffered my suffering. I know this is what he's like. I've experienced it in my heart, in my life. I know this is who Jesus is, that this is his desire. And here's the thing, the encouragement to me and you this morning. Yeah, we know to say Jesus is our hope, but I'm asking you today, have you examined your own heart? Have you examined your own life? Have you examined your 2020 and said, is he my hope? Have I given him government of my life? Hope is a person. His name is Jesus. When he takes ownership of us, we become, and he becomes our hope, he becomes for us a royal ruler of peace, mighty and strong. He gives us strength when we're weak. The person whose advice and guidance is so true that it can only be described as wonderful. And a father that will do anything to protect his children now and forever. That's the message, guys. Here's the thing. Did you know something happens to us when we continually make Jesus as the person, our hope, our hope for now, our hope for forever, our hope for our circumstances here, our, our hope for tomorrow? When you, there's something, the scripture teaches something literally changes in us. That this kind of hope has a sanctifying, cleansing, purifying effect. We get cleansed. We get made pure. Sanctification just means we begin to change or transform. There's a transformation hap- that happens when you hope like this. 1 John 3, 3, it says, all who have this hope in him purifies themselves. Hope in what? In Jesus. There's a purifying, and guess what? Things begin to change. The ball starts to roll. Your heart starts to change. The thing that you, and here's the, that's the thing. That's the amazing thing about being born again. The miracle of the new birth is once you get this hope, you don't worry about that hope as much. Once you get his life, it becomes less about the life that you used to want. And you realize it's never really been about me anyway. I told you my stories of pain. You could come up here and tell your stories of pain and suffering, but guess what? It's never really been about my story or yours, has it? It's only ever been about Jesus' story, about his name, his renown, his glory. And when, you're, when, when you hope like this, your, your heart changes, your desires change, changes, the things you long for, the things you wait for, they begin to change. Isaiah 26, 8 I was so excited when I found this scripture. Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your laws, we what? We wait. Hope, wait, are tied together. For you, we wait for you, and your name and your renown become the desire of our hearts. Your name and your renown. Whose name? The hope in this person, Jesus. It becomes my heart, my heart changes. The things that I used to want, I no longer want. All I want is for his name and his renown to be spoken of. Not the pandemic, not the virus, not the election. I, I want his name to be spread. My hope is in him. I have hope for him now and I hope have hope for him when the forever comes. It's about Jesus. It's his story, not mine, not yours.
So this morning, let's worship his name. Let's take a few minutes in the next few minutes to forget about all the things that are around us that are dark and remember that he died on a cross, that he rose again and he promises to come back and take us to that forever. Let's pray. Father, we worship you and we honor you, Jesus, that in the midst of darkness that we all are very attuned with, that we've all experienced, for us, God, you sent this child, this one born of a virgin, and you bring us hope. God, may your name and your renown be the only thing we ever hope for.